Thanks again for being with us today. We're in part two of our series called Church Sucks When. And today we're going to take a look at how it sucks when it's all about rules and religion rather than relationship. All about rules and religion rather than relationship with God. Now let me, uh, before we go too much further, let me say that rules are a significant part of any and every culture. I get that, I know. Without rules, we would live in anarchy and chaos. Rules like speed limits, which rarely get obeyed. But other rules like uh, the law against murder or sex abuse, those provide at least a measure of security and safety and sanity in our world. And no civilized society has ever been created or ever survived without generally accepted rules and laws. If every man or woman did whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do it, without consequence, then it would be a scary place and some of you would never leave your house. Rules are important. I get that. I understand that. So please understand where I'm coming from. And then the Bible. The Bible has lots of rules and things we're to do or not to do. There are many things, commandments given, even by Jesus himself, things he says, do this and don't do that. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is critical that you get this this morning. When our faith is all about rules and regulations, apart from love and meaningful relationship with the Father, then that's when religion sucks. That's when it sucks. When it's all about rules and regulations, apart from love and meaningful relationship with God, that's when it's all messed up. If we think we, we can earn God's favor by our performance, that's when our hearts get all Willy Wonka and go sideways, and it's not good. Now, as a pastor, uh, several times I've been called uh, literally to the deathbed of someone on the last few hours of their life, and uh, several years ago, I got a call from a lady in our church, and she said, my husband's uh, probably not going to survive the night. The doctors are giving him less than 24 hours. Would you come and just pray with him? And I'd never met him before. And I said, I'd be glad to. And, and uh, she said, well, he's in and out of consciousness. I don't know what it's going to be like when he gets there. Well, I showed up, and I was actually surprised and delighted that he was not only conscious, but he was very alert, very aware of his surroundings. And when you're literally down to the wire with someone in the final hours of their life, there's nothing that matters more than their eternal destiny. And so I asked him, I said, do you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Do you know? And his re reply to me was very telling. He said, well, I hope so. I've tried to be a good person. I hope so. Well, I understood that he misunderstood something. And so I spent the next 15 minutes or so gently correcting his perspective. And I told him the, about the difference between trying to be good enough and true and meaningful relationship with God by grace and through faith. And that night, that man understood something he'd never understood before. And he prayed that prayer and, and gave his life to Jesus. And the next day, he went to be with Jesus forever. You see, it's never about being good enough. It's never about us getting everything together and figuring it out. It's always about grace. In fact, here's the big idea in your outline. It says, on our best day, we will struggle to do all the right things so if our hope and salvation is based on our performance, we're never going to make it. On your best day, when you think you're being pretty good and you really are trying your best to be good, on your best day, you're still going to struggle with thoughts, attitudes, words, actions that will betray who you are in Christ. And so if our relationship with God is based on our performance, then we're never going to be good enough and we're in trouble. Jesus told his disciple in John Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus made it clear. If you want to have a relationship with the Father, it doesn't come through your way. It doesn't come through rules and regulations and meeting all the requirements. It comes through relationship with me. Jesus made that clear. Our relationship with God is not created by or activated through some adherence to a long list of do's and don'ts. It begins with and is sustained by a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where it's sustained, and that's where it's always going to be. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 3. He said, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He was a good practicing Jew. And yet he came, came to relation with Jesus, and he came to understand this reality. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. He said, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. What's the purpose of the law? It shows us how messed up we are, how much we need a Savior. In verse 27 of Romans 3, it says, Can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? And his reply is, no, we cannot. No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Our righteousness, which is a way of saying our right standing with God, is not based on following all the rules. In fact, if relationship with God were based on following all the rules with perfection, then the Pharisees would have been the heroes in the, New, in the New Testament, but they were not. Matthew 23, 24, here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You're blind guides who strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Now, the original hearers of this, when Jesus said this to the Jews, they would have laughed. They would have giggled at this picture. They, the, because they, these people, these Pharisees, think they have it all together. And he said, these guys, you, you swallow you know, a camel, while you're straight out of net, you, you think you're working on the things that matter and you're missing it. No group of people on the planet were better at following the religious rules than the Pharisees. Nobody. And no group was more messed up than they were. And Jesus consistently called them blind guides, hypocrites, vipers, snakes. And the reason why they irritated Jesus so much is because they set a standard that no one could fulfill. And in the process, they kept people from God rather than drawing people to God. They set the bar so high and made it all about performance that they actually drove people away from true relationship with the Father. Luke 11, Jesus has some woes for the Pharisees. He says, you experts of the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Verse 52 of Luke 11. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering, who are trying to enter. What's the key to knowledge? Well, the key to knowledge is the key to knowledge of salvation, and that is relationship. It's about relationship with God through Jesus. And Jesus said, you guys have missed it. You've made it all about something else rather than about me. Too often, those in the church have done the same thing. We've laid a heavy burden on people and have hindered them from entering into faith with God. And I can say that because I've been in church since I was about five days old. I've been in church all of my life. I've probably been to church more than most of you. And I've seen this all too often. What the church has historically too often done is we just lay this burden on people. And we make it all about the rules, about the regulations, about adhering to our standard, whatever that is, before we'll accept people. In our church in Portland years ago, a young man walked in one day, uh, happened to have long hair, was Native American, 
He was dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. Now in our church, like here, he felt comfortable that way. But he got involved, eventually gave his life to Jesus. And I asked him a story one day, and he said, well, you know, it's really quite a miracle that I tried your church, this church, again, because the very first church I ever went to, the first church this guy ever went to, he showed up just like he showed up at our church, and they told him before the service even got started, they told him, you're really not welcome here. Now, I know we think there's no way. Well, that's really rare. That never happens. I wish I could say that's the case. But all too often, I've seen the church in my years over the decades turn people away, not make people welcome. In fact, turn them away, lay a heavy burden on them because they don't meet the standard or meet whatever they think they ought to do to be accepted. And that, my friends, is religiosity at its worst. Religiosity at its worst. And so I want to take a brief look at the problem with religion. And we could unpack a lot of things uh, about this issue. I'm going to land on two, probably the two most important. The problem with religion, number one, it makes what you know or don't know more important than who you know. Religion makes what you know or don't know more important than who you know. And it's a capital W, Jesus. Now knowledge, let me be clear again, knowledge is not the problem. I said last week, knowledge is good. Growing in our understanding of God, his word, his will, his ways, those, those, those are good things. Knowledge is necessary for growth. But transformation is always more important than information. And God didn't send Jesus just to make us smarter. He didn't give us the Bible just to make us smarter. He came to transform us. And true and lasting heart-level transformation happens in the context of meaningful relationship with God. And the key words there are true and meaningful. Heart-level transformation happens in the context of true and meaningful relationship with God. You know, in every other religion on the planet, every other religion on, on earth, your acceptance, your hope, your salvation, you reaching nirvana or whatever, has everything to do it's, with what you do. It's based on your performance. It's based on you. Do more good than bad, and you might appease an angry God or the angry gods and survive. Pray longer, chant more than everybody else, and you might be accepted. God might finally listen to you. Spend your life learning mysterious secrets, insider secrets, then you might transcend into something better than an armadillo in the next life. That's what the religions of the world teach. Man-made religions are based on, on us trying to get to God through rules, regulations, and works. In fact, if you want to identify what a cult is and what a false religion is, it's when, it's based, uh, when those things are based on people's efforts at reaching God through what they might be able to do. False religion is when it's about us and what we might be able to accomplish if we work really hard or if we know just the right stuff. Quite to the contrary. Christianity is based on God reaching us, out to us. It's all about him providing a way where there was no way for you and I to make it on our own. Let me put it this way. Religion is man searching for God while Christianity is God searching for man. Religion is man trying to do all the right things to somehow become like God or get to God or win God's love and favor. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is about God searching for us and loving us so much that he sent his one and only son to make a way for us where there was no way. This is what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. We can't take credit. It's by his grace. 
In Titus 3, one of my favorite chapters in probably all the epistles, Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, Paul writes, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. Now, kindness and love are relational qualities. When God revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Listen, not because of the righteous things we had done. Not because we figured it all out. But because of his mercy. And mercy is relational. Because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. That means that our faith is not performance-based, but relationship-based, and all because of God's goodness and God's love. And by the way, that's what makes it such good news for all of us. Because if it were performance-based, we'd all be in trouble. We'd never be able to measure up. But it's not performance-based. It's relationship-based, based on God's goodness and God's love for you and me. You know why I don't cheat on my wife? Some of you wondered why. <laughs> Let me explain to you. It's not just because, you know, I know it's foolish and wrong. And it is foolish and wrong, but that's not the primary motivation. It's not because of the risk of getting an STD, though that is a very real risk in our culture. And it's not because I don't want to deal with the hassle or the expense of a divorce. And trust me, divorce is a hassle and expensive. It's not for those. That knowledge is helpful to a degree, but the primary reason why I am faithful to this woman is because I love her, she loves me, we both love Jesus, and we are loved by God, and I would, don't want to crush or betray that love. It's because of love. You want to know why I obey God, why I want to do the right things, why I even care? It's not because I'm afraid if I mess up, God's going to strike me down with lightning. It's not because I worry that if, you know, if I fail that I'll end up going to hell. Because here's a little insight. I fail all the time. You know, probably already today, you've thought something you shouldn't have thought, looked at something you shouldn't have looked at, said something you shouldn't have said, did something you... Sh- I, how many of you did above the speed limit on the way here this morning? Come on. Own it. Confession's good for the soul. Sinners. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we don't go to hell based, you know, based on our ability to keep you know, or avoid hell based on our ability to, to keep all the rules. It's not because I'm desperately trying to earn God's love either. Not that at all. Now, I want to obey. I care. I want to be more like Jesus and do the right things because I am loved and because I love him. It's because I am forgiven. It's because I have known and tasted of the goodness and the forgiveness of God. It's because of his grace in my life that I want to be like him. Religion changes very little. In fact, all it really changes is the outside. Jesus called the Pharisees in another passage whitewashed tombs, which is one way of saying, guys, you look pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead man's bones. But relationship changes everything. Religion changes nothing. But relationship changes everything, and it's changed me. And that's why it's not about what we do or what we know, but all about who we know, all about him and what he's done for us. Here's the second problem with religion. Number two, it tends to be abusive because it makes being right more important than being relational. Religion tends to be abusive because it makes being right more important than being relational. Not only does religion go wrong because it focuses on what we do or what we know more than who we know, but what it creates often, it creates abusive people. Historically, religion and religious texts have been used improperly to justify everything from slavery to homophobia to the abuse of women. I grew up in a church that was abusive to women. And they took out of context and, and messed up the word of God and applied it in ways that just, 
or not what the, the word teaches. For centuries, religious people in positions of power abused people and did horrible things in the name of God. There have been holy wars that took the lives of countless thousands, countless people. And by the way, the Crusades were not a glorious moment for the church. We have failed all too often. We've made mistakes and we've done so in the name of God. We've been abusive in an attempt to being doctrinally right. And again, doctrine's important. Being right's good. But in an attempt to being doctrinally right, the church has too often been disrespectful and divisive and destructive towards others who are in fact believers, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. People that you and I are going to spend eternity with, we have spoken evil of and we've been mean and vile and hateful and spiteful towards them. And that's wrong. Listen, I am all for being right. Right is better than wrong. You can write it down. Right is better than being wrong. And, and there is a right and there is a wrong. Everything is not relative. That's not what I'm saying. But being right is not okay at the cost of being relational. Being right is not good if, if we're going to make that the focus and, and in the process destroy people that Jesus loves. Sometimes we make our pet doctrines or our favorite traditions more important than those that we disagree with, more important than, than people that Jesus loves. And if you want to be right, guys, that is wrong. Too often religious people have made sacred traditions or pet peeves of greater value than loving others, loving people the way God does. I know a church, true story, a church that had an ugly split, meaning that half of them left and went and started another church. Ugly split because they had a serious argument. And you know what it was over? It was over the color of the carpet. Seriously, there was the red people and the blue people. People thought it's the sanctuary, it has to have red carpet. And others thought, no, it's gonna be blue. And what they ended up doing is they split. They destroyed the work of God, that church. They hated and spoke evil of each other over something as silly and stupid as carpet. I know a young woman who was shunned by her religious family because she got a nose ring and a tattoo. Now listen, I don't really care what you think about nose rings or tattoos. I like them. If you don't, tough. It doesn't matter to me. But here's what really bothers me is that we would shun someone or cut somebody off that we, in the name of God, religion, would say, yeah, you're not welcome. You can't be a part of my family anymore because of something you've done that I disagree with. That is wrong. That's abusive. I know a family who are missionaries in France. Right now, friends of mine, they're missionaries in France, and they recently lost some financial support from some people because they found out that these people drink wine. Hello, they're in France. <laughs> the French drink wine more than water. And they're missionaries there, and they made that this issue, and they cut them off because they thought they were right and this couple were wrong. Religious people have been abusive. They've been silly. They've, they've made being right more important than being relational. And what's worse is that sometimes we've been self-righteous. And if you've been self-righteous, and I know I have been at times, I'll own it. If you know somebody is self-righteous, they, they stink. It's miserable to be around somebody. like They're mean they're condescending, they're judgmental, they're not the kind of people you want to hang out with. But that has described the church historically all too often, and too much of the church even today. I fear that we've forgotten what it was said of Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, 
a tax collector, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And by the way, he wasn't drinking water or grape juice. And they accused him. They said, now you're, you're messed up. But Jesus said, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Wisdom is proved right by the fruit of relationship. Jesus was a friend to those who are far from God. And the reason why I know Jesus wasn't self-righteous and condescending and mean and harsh and judgmental is because nobody wants to be a friend of somebody like that. But Jesus was, in fact, their friend. Mercy was his way. And mercy is relational. It's not abusive. Matthew 5, 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 9, 13. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's speaking to people who made a big deal about the sacrifices in the synagogue. And they were did, always did it right and made sure they followed all the rules. And Jesus said, you don't get it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Matthew 23, 23, another woe to you passage. Jesus said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You worry about the smallest little things, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are relational things. Again, you've worried about things that aren't that big a deal, and you've neglected the things that really do matter, the things that are relational. Let me say it again. Religion is abusive and ugly and anything but attraction to those who are far from God. All too often, it's about being right, not being relational. And that's, that's so not like Jesus. Now, we don't condone sin. Some of you think, well, isn't there a right? We've got to be right. Sometimes we've got to stake a tan, stand for truth. And we gotta, it's, there's a right and wrong. And yes, yes, yes. I, we, we don't condone sin. We will speak the truth. But we will do so in love, humbly and in love. Humbly because we know that we're broken and we mess up. And we'll do it in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way to become more and more like Jesus. We'll speak the truth, we will, but we'll do it in love because we want to be just like Jesus. Quite some time ago, somebody sent me a video link, a YouTube video, and uh, I watched it, and it was quite moving to me. Uh, I've been looking forward, to, actually for months, to an opportunity to show this to you, and if this doesn't push a little, but a, a little bit of your buttons, and you're probably not listening. But let's watch this video together. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. 
Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me, acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken, which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, he looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men, but the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. My concern is some of you, maybe just a handful, are still stuck back on what he said. What do you mean Jesus is not a Republican? <laughs> and you've missed the point. It's not about a what. It's all about a who. It's about him. I'm not a big fan of rap, but I'm a big fan of that guy. And I love some of the images he used. If, if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And that... The religion stinks because it's like spraying perfume on a casket. Boy, how true is that? And so my challenge to you today is I want to encourage you to be relational just like Jesus. To be like him. To not be modern day Pharisees who make it all about the rules and regulations. Who shun people, who, who discount people, who set them aside. Who get all, you know, twisted in and out over things that really are not eternal and don't matter. And that we would be just like him. That we would be called friends of sinners because we're like our Lord. And if you're here today, or you're watching online, or you're listening, and you've been abused by the church, by someone who said they were a Christ follower, a Christian, 
Would you forgive us? Forgive me. Forgive the church. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. We want to be like him. Bow our heads. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you sent your son into a lost and broken world to show us our need for a savior. And that he reminded us and that the, the New Testament reminds us over and over again that it's never about what we can do, but about what's been done for us through Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And maybe you're here today and you've not accepted that free gift of God's grace and mercy. And you've not begun your life as a Christ follower. And you're here you're, and you just know it's time. You've put it off. You've had a thousand excuses. But in your gut, in your heart, you know right now it's time for you to surrender your life to God. And to embrace that free gift of his mercy and his grace. And you want to know his life. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just make this prayer yours. What's most important, that this is an attitude of your heart, that you're saying yes to God, yes, I need God. But just let my prayer right now be your prayer if this is what you want to do. Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I've failed. I've tried to do it right. I've tried to do it my way. And if there's anything I know for sure, it's that I, I, I can never get it done. I, I, I'm not good enough. And so, God, I thank you that it's about what Jesus has done for me. I get that today. And I embrace that free gift of mercy and forgiveness and grace that comes from Jesus, from what he did for me on the cross. And today, I choose to surrender my life to him. Jesus, you surrendered your life on the cross for me. Today, I surrender my life to you. And I choose to follow you now all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, come inside me. Change me from the inside out. Make me a relational man or woman, not just a religious person. Help me to know you and walk with you from here into eternity. Now, if that's your heart and your desire in your own way, just say, yeah, God, that's me. That is so what I want. The Bible says the moment you say yes to him in your heart, you choose to believe, then that moment is the beginning for you of your relationship with Jesus. Lord, for those that are making that choice right now, seal it in their hearts. Show them what you're doing. Fill them. And God, for, for all of us today, show all of us, God, our need to be more like you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. And uh, the offering bags are going to come. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. If you want to drop the communication card in the basket, you can do so. Prayer request, put those in. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Listen, before you go, I want to encourage you, if you begin your life as a Christ follower today, tell someone that you came with. Come tell me. We want to walk with you. Back on the tables, by the doors as you leave, this. Uh, Packets is for new believers. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Uh, there's, if you didn't get the, the life group directory, grab one of those. Please stop by the tables. Guatemala team's back there. Life group tables are out in the lobby. Check it out. And here's my prayer for you, that you would walk out of here today with that conviction that God is able. It's not about what you can do, but about what's been done for you. And so go live in mercy today. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs>